everybody and welcome to Mesnayagin Isqueo. I'm Kayla and today we're actually shooting on location. So we are here and we are in a special place and we have a very special guest with us today, our very first guest. So that's super exciting. And I'll let the rest of the crew introduce themselves. Hi everyone, I'm Sheila LaRock. <laughs> and I'm Tanya Ball and our special guest today is... Oh, Ambrose Cardinal. <laughs> but I guess, do you want me to introduce myself right now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can No, we're it. just going to stare at you for a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tell us a little bit about you. How, or you can introduce yourself. Yeah. Where well, are you from? What's well, your story? Well, What's your name? Uh, who What's are you? What's your star sign? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, and also Prince Albert. I'm still learning. I have to learn how to say Prince Albert in Cree. But um, essentially, I, well, I'm really, really grateful to be here amongst the matriarchs. You know, this is, uh, this is, uh, this <laughs> you is, make us uh, sound so old. No, <laughs> not People old. People are going to be like matriarch and then check to see like our photos and be like, I wonder what face cream they're using. Hey, no. man. <laughs> Matrix are powerful. That's true. I'm trying okay. to. I'm trying. To, I'm acknowledging the power that I'm surrounded by, and I'm very thankful for it. This experience, getting to know everyone here involved with this podcast, is pretty essential to what I'm doing right now. And like, if it wasn't for these powerful Esquiawak in this room, I wouldn't be really fulfilling the things that I'm doing right now. And uh, right now, I'm currently in my fourth year of university. I'm studying kinesiology. So I study movement and I study why people move. I don't know, uh, but I uh, but I specifically study adaptive adaptive physical activity. But I'm really interested in resurgence and reclamation, and you know reclaiming reclaiming our health practices and you know dismantling different systems and just supporting people. I think that's one thing that I've always want to do, and I think that. That's one thing that we always want to do, but, you know, there's always these different institutional demands or limitations that are put forth in front of our way sometimes. But, you know, as Indigenous people, we overcome that no matter what. I'm 21 years old. I'm a brother. I'm A.T. I'm from Prince Albert, like I was saying before. Perfect. So, as you know, our, our podcast is about writing, editing, and publishing with and for Indigenous folks. We, we invited you here because you're working on a very special project. Mm -hmm. And we were hoping that you'd be able to share with the listeners what, what exactly that you're working on and why it's important. Yeah, so this project that I'm working on is called Nayantuihiwin, which means healing yourself day after day, or doctoring yourself day after day, loosely translated. And essentially what I've been trying to create for the past almost two years now is an indigenous health zine for institutionalized indigenous people. And what that really means is it's trying to create a publication or try to create work that's based within the medicine wheel and that is trying to contextualize the medicine wheel and use it as a tool rather than a mere symbol of recognition or like a mere symbol of, I don't know, people use medicine wheels for everything now and we kind of lose the, the context and we lose the teachings out of it. So this process, this project is really grounded in reclamation, you know, reclamation of the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of ourselves as Indigenous people, as we traverse through institutions, and 
the reason why I'm focused on institutions is because, you know, the, the history in which we are in, the history of Canada, which is known now, is very contextualized within institution, especially towards our own people. You know, and we, we can think, we can draw comparisons between institutions in all different types of places. And we can even think about Canada as an institution in some ways and the construction of it. You know, the reserve system, script signings, uh, you know, treaty. And through that experience, we're all, we're all bound and kind of related to each other through that. You know, we, we might all be cousins somehow. But we're also related through our experiences and through the things that we overcome. And that's often something that becomes very muddied within the political climate in which we exist. So my goal is to really to kind of acknowledge the humanity in each one of us, you know, and to start there rather than starting at instances of lateral violence or something that we're accustomed to. Right. And this project started about two years ago. I was working for the Abjal Student Services Center, and I was also part of the Abjal Student Council as Vice President External, and that year was hectic. Standing Rock was going on, like people were getting like, I don't know if I should share this, but we were getting like stalked by the police, like there was just a bunch of crazy stuff going on because they thought we were associated with uh, indigenous resistant groups or something like that, but essentially... Uh, you know, we just wanted to serve the community. We wanted to change, to make some changes. The, the The origin of the zine comes from, comes actually from a tragedy or a loss within the institution. Some Someone, a part of the faculty of Native Studies, you know, lost their life to mental health and other things. And, and uh, as a leader of the community, I felt kind of responsible for some way. It was kind of weird. I was just, I was just upset that nothing was really being done. You know, we always talk about creating that Musqua house or whatever, or, you know, we're always expecting more than what's given, you know, scraps that are given. And I just wanted to do something about it. And I've always known that, you know, our own healing starts from within, but it, it sometimes it has to be primed from something, you know, because we, we exist in a very dysfunctional society, right? So we can't really expect to always be healing ourselves and always be appeasing people and you know so it's very complex and i started the zine off with like self-help quotes and stuff like that and i was trying to i was really gearing it towards first year students like within tip you know just first year students maybe coming from reserve or settlement and just experiencing a lot of a lot of culture shock right and like I, I started, it was, I literally started off with like a, a Google doc with just like lit, like just splitting it up. I always wanted, I've always wanted to create something based around the medicine wheel because my first teachings on the medicine wheel were, were very needed at the time. And they really sticked with me and really helped guide my life. So I wanted to do something similar. And when I first was starting it, it was like how to cook moose stew or something i don't know i just was finding all these weird recipes it's like okay how to pick herbs in the river valley talking about i interviewed someone and i was just talking about like how did you graduate you know just like very broad questions and and i had no idea what i was doing and then i like contacted someone who was working for new trails because new trails published that that issue about residential schools 
And I was like, damn, this is actually pretty cool. This is interesting. I was like, would neutrals ever like support or create an indigenous based like magazine for students at this university? And I was like, shit, like I, I'll go talk to them and see what's up. And it was like August by then. And I met with someone and they were like, okay, like, like I like your ideas, blah, blah, blah. And like, uh, if you get us like some kind of outline or something like that, we can maybe work with something. So I was like, okay, I have to make a magazine in one month. And I want this magazine to be in the backpacks, like the ASSC backpacks. And, and I, yeah, it's going to be great. And like, I expected to create, like, I didn't even know anything. I didn't know how to use InDesign, didn't know how to use Photoshop. You know, I was a terrible writer. My writing was terrible. My ideas were, I don't know. I was just very fragmented, right? And it was very interesting at the time too, because at that time I was experiencing a lot of trauma and I was like recovering from a lot of trauma from that experience of being in the ASC and that experience of Standing Rock, discovering my own indigeneity and through all of it, right? Trying to recollect different pieces of myself and try to be proud in who I was and, you know, try to be firm in my own identity. And I was going through a breakup and there was all this crazy stuff going on. But at that same time, that same summer is when I was actually uh, welcomed into ceremony. You know, I found out that I had a relative who was an elder and his name is Will Campbell. And I ended up at a Sundance and I was there and I didn't even have a tent or anything like that. And I was just like, do you know Will Campbell? And they're like, yeah. And then I just camped out there. I just borrowed someone's tent. And then I met him the next day. Like, I, there, It was just a weird time. It was a very weird time. And there was a lot of changes in my life. And I was just, I was, I was, I was 19 at the time. I don't know. I just, I've just always wanted to, I love my people so much that I want to do something that shows the love, you know, that tries to, tries to contextualize that love. I was really thankful because around that time, um, me trying to put this magazine together, I didn't know what was going on. I got in contact with Tanya Ball, you know, and, uh, and it was through her that like, shit, this could actually happen in some way, in some capacity this could actually happen because we sat down and she was telling me about the work that she was doing with Rise. I didn't even know what a zine was. I didn't know what a zine, I still don't even really know what a zine is. And uh, we were talking about Rise, the zine that Tanya was helping with at the time. And I was like, maybe I don't need to make a magazine. Like that's kind of, I don't know what I really want to make. I just want to make something that reflects the medicine wheel and that is telling our own stories and that is contextualizing ourselves. You know, and that's something that's completely indigenous and doesn't have to rec be recognized or doesn't have to be affirmed by the institution or and is really about focusing on each other. I was really noticing at that time being wrapped around all this different politics and all this different, you know, drama that uh, we get really separated from our own from ourselves amongst everything. And uh, we think that we're serving our own people. But sometimes, you know, sometimes we just need a cup of red rose and you know, we need to focus on ourselves. I was I was really fragmented from that. But um, Tanya really saved my ass. Can we swear? You, <laughs> you should have heard our last episode. Jeez. But, um, and it was from, through Tanya where I learned what a zine was. And it was through Tanya that I was kind of getting familiar with InDesign and stuff like that. But I actually, I was doing, the, and Tanya helped me do these different workshops at first, I didn't really know what they were going to be, and they were very broad and very vague. And, and it, was, it was essentially just a couple of my friends coming together and me, us making art and me trying to like share experiences and stuff like that. But to be honest, I didn't really have any teachings, you know. But part of the teachings came through my own healing, 
and through that connection with my Muslim will. So this process of creating the zine is not just about creating the zine, but it's actually like trying to live out the things that I'm talking about, the things that I'm discussing, the things that things that we're navigating within the zine, right? And I guess the most essential part of Nantuihuan is that um, it's like a quadruple collaboration project. Like what that means is that someone, someone, like someone scribbles on a piece of paper. I say, hey, that looks cool. I see someone else's poetry or I see someone else's like, I see someone else's expression. I say, okay, let's see if those go together. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, that kind of looks like it's part of their physical being. Okay, let's put that in there. And then someone else, a couple days later, a couple weeks later, whatever, you know, we get submissions, whatever happens, they, then I see that. I was like, oh shit, that's cool. And we put it all together. So it's like, it's always developing. It's always like unfolding. And it's just like, it's crazy the amount of collaboration that goes into certain pages of the zine. It was like, I've, I'm still, I, I'm still working on it. And the collaboration is just like the most beautiful part but it's, and it's also something that just brings you together with someone, right? And it's also a, a piece in which you can express something that maybe you've never even talked about before, you know? Maybe there's part there's a part in the emotional that reflects and talks about, you know, lateral violence and how that's expressed and manipulated and shown in different ways, you know? And maybe that's something that you've been dealing with every single day of your life. So then you're like, wow, you know, and someone submits something to you and you're like, this is totally something that I experienced too. And like, it's just, it's just, it's very interesting. You know, we're very connected in so many ways and we forget about it. We forget our own power and our own connection, you know, because this society's always trying to muddle us up and push us in a different direction or, you know, trying to assimilate us in so many ways. We also were doing work with Jella in the prisons. And like the prisons to me, is a very significant place. I was actually baptized in a prison, believe it or not. I was baptized in the in the Drumheller Penitentiary. My Muslim was in jail. He served a he was serving a life sentence for first degree murder, which should have been manslaughter, but because he's indigenous and because he's visibly indigenous, he was he was sentenced for life because they found his fishing his fishing knife in the truck, because. You know, but uh, and it was like, but he got out, you know, he served 21 years. The institutions are very, very interesting place for me because it it is a place where so much pain happened within my life. Like you can see, you can trace the trauma and you can trace that, you know, erasure, erasure of the role of father from my mother. You know, when you can see that intergenerational trauma that was exhibited through it. And today, you know, even though he's grown so much as a person, he has his own company and stuff like that. I still see the trauma and see the things that have happened to him in there. And I, we don't even have to talk about it. Right. So it's a very interesting place. Jella. Jello is a really important part of that story, too. I still haven't had the time. It's not priv it's not time. It's more commitment I, I still haven't made the commitment to go and to fulfill my you know to, to do a workshop by myself or with other people but we did create a workshop for people within the remand center and it was very broad and the person who was conducting it was allison and she didn't really she didn't really know what the medicine wheel was either and she's not indigenous but 
it was just really interesting because the way that we structured it and the way that it was presented offered you know offered this discussion about it offered this this coming together and these different people you know who've never really spoken in that circle before we're talking about like oh yeah like I remember hearing these stories about the medicine when I was a kid and you know it was a it was a moment of reclamation you know it was a moment of reclamation into like the most dehumanizing most isolated most trauma traumatic place and it just shows you how powerful you know shows you how powerful our traditions and our ways are you know and how connecting they could be and that's kind of where that that idea of having the zine be for institutionalized indigenous peoples came from and that's been a guiding feature to many of the things that i've been doing now you know through the zine and through my experiences and being connected with my Muslim will, I've been able to take on the responsibility, co-chair of the MTNA of You Justice Committee, and we do uh, we do restorative justice for first-time offenders, you know, and uh, their youth. It's a really important work, and and it's an opportunity to change some someone's life, steer them away from, you know, the context of their trauma, and and bring them into somewhere, you know, powerful. But it's also an opportunity to to kind of disrupt something, you know, and to show I don't really want to be recognized, but I, we show that the we show the colonial system, the judicial system, that we have our own systems, right? We have our own practices and they exist today and they're they're happening right now. It's crazy. There's so many things that we could do in a moment that disrupts and really breaks like this matrix of colonialism. It was, it's really interesting. That's that's a that's part of it, and we've seen and I've seen it within this these workshops too. And the most recent time I remember seeing it actually was a couple of weeks ago. Me and my friend Kyron, when there was still you know snow, no snow on the ground, we went over to Rundle Park and brought our drums with us, and we went over to the riverbank, and we were practicing some songs, and we were practicing uh, the creator song that we know, and we were practicing some other songs. And I had to start with my drum. I have to start a fire to to have it go because it's very it picks up humidity a lot but anyways we had to start a fire and we warmed up the drum on this beat on like this you know on the river valley bank and and for that one for that 15 minutes it was like we broke reality it was crazy like i didn't even notice anyone around us you know there's cars passing by it's rundle park freaking the refinement refineries over there and you know but it, it didn't matter because what mattered was that moment and what mattered was honoring ourselves and our ancestors, right? And then 15 minutes in, we see a truck drive across this bridge. What the, what, what is that truck? Is it a police truck? Like, what is that police truck or, you know? And our first reaction, our first reaction was to run, you know? So we just picked up our stuff and just pieced out of there. And then we were like, we were running for like five minutes in the river valley, but then I just stopped and like, Kyron, why are we running? You know, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why we're running, you know. And I was like, "Shit, see how, see how, see how like ingrained our own trauma is." You know, our first reaction, our first instinct is to run from the first indication of of institutionalization, you know, or of threat and of taking something away from us. Holy, like that was that was a kind of that was a pretty empowering experience in itself because you kind of see you see how things are very connected. And then a couple couple weeks later, I remember sitting for Thanksgiving with my my cookum and and I asked her. I just I I just asked her like, did you experience residential schools? 
And she said she has eight bro- she has eight siblings. And she said we didn't because we were hiding in the bushes, you know. And we didn't we we never really we didn't even go to school because we we didn't want to go to that school. So it's just like and like it just, it's just it's so. And she's only sixty years old. So it's, it's just very interesting to see all these things still concurring and existing within us. And they're still they're always going to be there, right? But we can confront them and we can. Uh, we can confront them and express them in different ways that makes it digestible, makes it something that we can overcome. I don't know. I, I kind of forgot. Yeah. Well, do you want to explain what Jella is for the listeners? Yeah. yeah. So Jella is the Greater Edmonton Library Association, and they do so many different things, including the prison project, which is what Ambrose was kind of referring to. That's kind of, I don't know if it's run by Allison Sivak, but Allison Sivak and Jessica Thorlaxen are the ones that actually took on this um, Indigenous program that Ambrose and I created. And I need to reconnect with them and find out like what's happening. But Mm -hmm. they're basically the ones that just exploded it. And they've just been incredibly supportive. And I mean, I can only imagine what it's going to be like in the future, right? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely give them props. And I don't know, can I just say like... Just hear you talk, Avrose. I'm like, I, maybe this is the mom in me, but I'm like, oh my god, I'm such a proud mama bear. <laughs> like, you're so amazing. And of course, like, I never want to interrupt a story, especially a good story, right? So it's hard. I have so many questions to ask, but I don't know. I'll let it to you too. See if you want to ask anything. So just to clarify, the prison pr- project is getting books and materials into mm. prisons and to those who are incarcerated. And so your workshop are writing workshops? No. So our, what the workshop that we do is, is taking different magazines and taking different, just pretty much, pretty much uh, just catalogs and different, different things. And almost like it's, it was almost like a collaging project, right? So people would come in there and essentially the workshop was kind of like, what do you know about the medicine wheel? It kind of just started off with something very broad and and open. And, and I, we really made it clear that we didn't want, like whatever they were feeling or whatever frame of mind they were in. And because they knew that this zine would reach people on the outside and would reach youth and hopefully empower them. And one thing that I wanted to focus on is like, I don't want to hear the narratives of oh, I should never done this or, you know, like, don't be like me kids or anything like that. Because I really want to honor the teachings that they learn through their experience, you know, to empower them to really express and to share their own medicine wheel, you know, share what the physical means to the mental, emotional, spiritual, and kind of tie it in together in some way. So it existed within, there was, I don't really know how many people created something in the workshops but we did have submissions and that's what we know with like this one individual like submitted like six poems they were freaking amazing i'm still using them and putting them in the zine today and then this other person drew this this medicine wheel on their bed sheet and it's just like beautiful like like super high definition like i don't like super detailed you know super detailed super amazing and like that medicine wheel actually is the first thing when you open up the zine, the first the first two pages is that medicine wheel is there, you know, and that medicine wheel is there, and it's very empowering. I'm very honored by the person who submitted it. And the funny thing about that that medicine wheel was that we were doing we were doing another workshop or something like that. We were there was an advertisement for 
and Tuihuen in the first people's house. I just had the medicine wheel there and and I was trying to I was trying to show them like what what was going on with the zine or whatever and it was kind of just like a Dropbox like submit something put it in there. My one friend who is the the visual coordinator or like does the visuals for Nehiwak, the local band in town, the Edmonton based band, saw the saw the the medicine wheel and was like, holy, like I want to make that like an album cover for Nehiwak. And the funny thing about Nehiwak is that I didn't know this, but I was I'm actually like second cousins with the lead singer, Chris Harper, you know, and we didn't know this until we actually went to a lecture by Maria Campbell and and we got to meet each other there. And then a couple months passed and he was doing tours and stuff like that. And and then my friend, I invited my friend Courtney to the sweat. And then they were like, oh, can we bring my friend Chris, who's the lead singer of Nehiwak? And he shows up and I didn't even have to give him directions because he was there before because Will's his, his, his uncle like me. And, and we met there again. I was like, holy, what? You know, like what? It was, it was kind of like starstruck. And, and then it, it led to collaboration because he was like, I want to get in touch and contact with the person who created this this medicine wheel, you know, and we want to we want to support our own people and you know, we want royal we want to give these people royalties and whatever. Unfortunately, I think the communication was lost or something like that, but something really interesting happened through that interaction and you know, discovering my own relations was that Nehiwa got signed by the label Arts and Crafts and a part of now, apparently, when you're signed with a record label, you have to be affiliated with some kind of non-for-profit society or something like that. He wants to create a partnership with Nana Tuihuen or some broader structure that has that includes Nana Tuihuen, and they want to uh, they want us to sign with the record label too. I don't even know what that would look like or what that look or what that is, but I was like. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, talk about mm-hmm. talk about publication when when indigenous people publish something, we're not just thinking about ourselves. You know, especially with a project like this. Like I, to be honest, I to be honest, I don't even really want to recognize myself within this project because it's not about me. You know, it's about all these people coming together. It's about our future. It's about our you know about our kids. It's about you know the ones who passed away. It's about our ancestors who protected these ways. And I really want to celebrate it, you know, celebrate it, but not myself. <laughs> I think that's the most powerful statement you probably could have ever made. <laughs> that Indigenous publishing is not just about us. And it's not just about individuals. It's about all of us uplifting each other, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. incredibly important. And a huge, probably the biggest difference between traditional publishing and like what we would do as Indigenous peoples, right? Mm. And through, like through through the like I said through this the creation and collaboration of Creighton and Tuihuen is also coming a lot of different other collaboration with other different indigenous artists. I don't want to. Well, I am going to name drop, but like Chief Ladybird was interested in submitting something, and other artists are also interested in submitting something. Uh, I'm friends with the people who do Mobilize, the indigenous clothing company. That's the thing when you when you get a group of indigenous artists together there's like no limitation you know there's no limitation i think the only limitation we have is being back home by a certain yeah. <laughs> you know? like a volunteer with a that's so cool i love chief ladybird so when you said that my eyes were like oh my god i'm sitting yeah. over here that's Ken so cool Buckman is amazing yeah 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 so this is your first kind of like publication other than like 
what you're doing right now, what kind of areas have you looked at? Like, how have you been thinking about actually getting like your publication out? Are you going to do like print copies, digital, like what kind of avenues have you explored? Well, the, I, to me, so a part of, so a part of this process, working with Tanya, working with people within the library, like yourself as well, was about fundraising. We had to find a way to raise funds because we, our original vision was to, to have paper copies. And the reason why we wanted paper copies was so that, you know, community members, people who don't have access to the internet or computers or could, could physically have a copy, you know, and it's very, it's a very visceral experience and it's a very, you know, more personable experience when you have that copy in your hand. So that was our original goal. And the other goal, the other goal and vision was to also have this free to not make money off it, to not make profits, but to be, if anything, to have it based by donation. And we have raised a lot of money through the GoFundMe thing. I, what was it called? You Caring? Yeah, You Caring. It was called You Caring. But then, like, in the summer, they, they like, went under or something like that. But we did raise, we, rose, we raised, a, like, about $1,300 from it. Nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we also got funding through the Book Publisher, Publishers Association, so part of this part of this process has also been about fundraising, but it's 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 fundraising through our own community, you know, because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are always supporting us. And at the end of the day, they're the ones who should, re, you know, benefit from it. I don't know. It's it's a very interesting process. And then we also want to do a digital copy just so it's accessible and out there. And, you know, it'd be a good way to connect with other relations from other parts of Turtle Island. And to be honest, my main... To be honest, I've been thinking about this project for since I was 15 years old, since I was 15 years old. And when I was 15 years old, like I was talking before, is when I first got those those teachings about the medicine wheel. And I needed them at that time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white passing Métis man. One of the difficulties that I had growing up was not really knowing who I was, but also really knowing who I was in certain ways. And and I was I, I don't know, I just I knew that I've always wanted to serve the community and I knew that that's my life's purpose. Was, is to serve the community, serve my people in some way. You know, even though growing up, you hear all these negative things about your own people, even from your own people, you know, going to visit relatives and, you know, going back to Prince Albert, wherever it is, you're really, you're always reminded about these negative stigmas that, you know, our own people inflict on ourselves and experience it every day. But I always knew that that was bullshit, you know, and I've always wanted to express that. And the way that I learned to express or to to formulate that was through the medicine wheel and uh, Leonard Saddleback, elder from Musquitches, he was the person who first gave me those teachings of the medicine wheel and I did a health internship, Anderson Hall, which was the indigenous health, which is now the indigenous health clinic out of Royal Alexander. And if it wasn't for those teachings, holy man, I don't know, I would have been on a totally different path um, at that time. Um, I I was recovering from an ACL surgery. I used to be an athlete, used to play football, and that was kind of my whole I- identity. And my parents were going through a really rough time. I didn't know this at the time, but my dad was struggling with drug addiction. My mom was dealing with depression and all these different things and I had two little sisters, you know, and in many ways I became their father through an extended period of time. If it wasn't for those teachings, if, if it wasn't for some understanding that there was connection and I just had to wait you know, I just had to wait and keep working and, and keep doing things to, you know, to motivate people, even if they weren't even, even if they weren't even indigenous people yet. 
I knew that I had to motivate people and I knew I had to move forward in my life and not really and not really lament or sit in my own burden of struggle. And it was a really pivotal time. And around the time that I got those teachings, I had a vision. You know, I had a vision. I didn't even know what it was a, that it was a vision, but I had a vision that that uh, there would be a place that we would go and it would be in a in a in a wheel in a circle, but it would be it would be a health center, right? It would be a health center that encompassed the medicine wheel and that it existed as the medicine wheel. You know, we had the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, a place where we can all come together and heal. And one thing that I that I've been beginning to know over the last couple of years now doing ceremony that those things already exist that those places exist but they're not really they're not available to all of us right and that we have sometimes we have to work and disrupt institution and almost like we have to create our own systems in order to really materialize and really exist in that way because one thing that i've noticed about institutions through this project and through my own experiences and through politics and through all this other shit is that the best thing that the government knows how to do through institutions is limit our uh, limit indigenous people's ability to care to care for each other right so if we find a way to create a place where we could do the exact opposite man <laughs> you know yeah well you are probably like you're so amazing. And one of my like most favorite memories from like becoming a librarian and coming up through like this whole institution of like a different library culture is when we all went to Jasper together oh. for a conference. <laughs> that was like the funniest thing. You just like, we just were like, well, we're just going to bring Ambrose with us. And like, we kind of didn't tell anybody. And we just like showed up with you. But like, I think one of my favorite things is like, often there's like kind of institutional practices and places where you just don't feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I find like conferences, like you just don't feel like you should be there, yeah. but it was so nice to have you there because you were just like so straightforward with everybody and was totally keeping it real. Plus like your mom and your sisters came, oh, yeah. which like <laughs> never happens. Like I never see families at conferences, but it was so awesome because your little sister was also drawing yeah. for the zine. And it was like the best thing ever. But also because then you went fishing with oh, Les yeah. and he showed up at Jasper Park Lodge in that beat up truck. And I like him walking down the road and I'm like, this is the most like Nietzsche thing I've ever seen. And he's just like talking to me in Cree, like hanging out the window. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is the best. But it also was so grounding at the same time because you're in this place where like it's so expensive, it's so bougie and like you just don't feel like you belong. And then it became like, felt like home all of a sudden mm. where I was like oh yeah this is so great so well it was also at the Jasper Park Lodge and if anyone who's ever been to Jasper knows like there's totem poles everywhere and it yeah. just doesn't make any sense and when you basically called just Jasper out as a city on a whole like during your part of the presentation is just awesome yeah. <laughs> like yes just That's yes because the history of Jasper is messed up in general <laughs> <laughs> I know I've written many a research paper on it that is my area of study, mm -hmm. but, but it's also like one of those places too, where they're like, Oh, let's do treaty acknowledgements. And then like, have fun with that one. I get called up, like help us do a treaty acknowledgement. And it's like, okay, well, which communities do you want to talk to? And how are we going to do this? Like, I'd rather not get like slapped on the wrist by like 
one community or the other today. I'm not going to touch that. It was, mm-hmm. it was kind of funny. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked to do, uh, I was asked to be part of this panel that was discussing um, treaty acknowledgements and it was for the Faculty of Arts. And one of the thing, like one of the, the one of the only things I remember myself saying was that, and it was the same week that they that Canada legalized marijuana. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, oh, like you guys, you guys can legalize marijuana, but can you guys legalize Indigenous reclamation? Like, why don't we do that? <laughs> and then every, you said and this that one, to yeah, them. yeah. And there was like a room full of deans and like chair people and all these different people. And it was it was funny because it was in that round room, like the Kiva room. Oh, and yeah, like yeah. the person who was organizing it didn't bring any smudge or anything like that. And I and I shared a song with them. And I don't know. I just felt really. It was just a strange experience, but that was like one of the funniest things that I remember saying. And like this one dude who's like. He just was like a complete hippie and he was like, ah, and he was like snapping, like doing I like the it. jazz snap or whatever. The library snap, the clap. The library clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a seal clap. Yeah. Okay. I think we're, we are potentially getting kicked out of this room. Let's see if they, Displaced. they're walking yeah. away. Oh, That's yeah. okay. Okay. All right. We can pause it. ceremony with him for like 30 years and he's one of them and he's like he struggles with like uh just a bunch of mental health stuff but those are two of his poems and it was cool because a couple weeks ago was his birthday at the naked cafe mm-hmm. and i actually got to play go up and play the drums while he nice. while he was like like spoken wording his poems and it was really cool okay but, wait yeah anyways let's restart okay so i just started everything mm-hmm. um again we are back after being displaced. <laughs> Short displacement. Short displacement. But we have moved on to a better space because this is my home away from home space. <laughs> and there is luckily no construction going on today. So that's also nice. And the space was available. So we are back. Perfect. So if we can, we can't really jump off right exactly where we left off. Ambrose here was just showing us some examples of the pages from his zine. I don't know if you want to start there, if that's a good place. Oh, yeah. Um, well, okay. So first, before I kind of talk about some of the pages, I just want to talk about like more collaboration and cool things that happened out of Nantuihuen. And like one of the cool things that that's occurred was that um, my, my one of my friends who was submitting a lot of poetry and stuff like that, because she was dealing with the breakup and like, we kind of, I kind of became like, I don't know, like her journal or something. I don't know. It was, it was interesting, but she created a lot of cool poetry and then she now wants to create her own zine. So I might help her with that. But then also around the same time that I, during the same time that I was working on my zine, this person, this amazing young Escoyawak from Muscochee, Samson, was creating the zine too. And she released two issues during the summer and they're called, uh, oh God, I have to look at it again, but um, it was crazy. Through, I kind of, I kind of, I think my, I think my girlfriend told me about the stuff that she was doing and then I like te- messaged her and I was like, hey, like we should collaborate. And then she's like, yeah, for sure. And then we kind of just like lost contact. And then she was actually going to her first year of university from TIP and then like she knew no one in Edmonton, but she knew my girlfriend. So then she ended up living with us for a week. Cool. And uh, like the zine that she made was uh, Natitowak. It's like a derivative of like Natotum, like friends. Then it was like it like the the zine itself is about you. It's a youth zine um, based out of Muscochis, and it's and it's just like highlighting 
kind of what youth are doing down there and it was like a really cool project and it was just kind of it was just like she calls it like it was like she was I don't know just bringing life like through her publication she was bringing the stories of her like lived experience you know the stories of the res and kind of just like showing it you know and it was like really cool and I was like damn out of that also came she allowed me to kind of use some of the things that she put in her zine so it's like a cross like a cross collaboration so I'm using so she made this really cool image so she used she used uh the 100 100 dates of Cree. she she did like this cool like like a Star Wars fan fiction kind of thing within her zine mm-hmm. and she created like this like this image of all these different artificial people and so it's just like it's just like very oh my god i'm looking at it right now and it looks yeah. amazing it's really cool it's like sci-fi like she was doing uh cool indigenous that? futurism oh, yeah, that is cool. yeah she was trying she's really experimenting with indigenous futurism she uses the cree word for artificial people in the middle and i was like hey like i really wanna this is how i want to start off the mental part of my zine mm-hmm. so i like i just like re recontextualized it um this is what the edits were cool. Oh my god! <laughs> is so, that just wait? Is that Justin that Trudeau's Justin face? Trudeau. Yeah, oh, uh, hold Justin up. Trudeau's face. What's his name? Uh, is that President Turpin's face? President Turpin. Oh my That's god! Hilarious. Um, there's this. There's a a logo that I used to be. A, there's a Native Studies course requirement logo. Uh, student group that we used to have. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> that is that is an example of um, artificial intelligence. Maybe As artificial. In artificial and like it's not real. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, that was so salty today. You can tell it's getting late in the day. I'm like it's not real smart. Oh my god! So obviously, all about the looks. I'm a huge comic book nerd, and that yeah. makes me think of like the Marvel different universes, right? Yeah. Like that's two different uni- zine universes coming together to create this yeah. gigantic like yeah. interesting backstory kind of a thing it's almost like a little wink or a nod to the hat you know and another people. collaboration like to mm-hmm. be honest a lot of times i just see cool things that my friends on instagram are doing and then i just message them I'm like hey can i use this in the zine and then this came out of it and i call this the appropriation chronicles by my friend kyman it's very interesting it's a lot of images of non-indigenous folks in headdresses and text to go along with it and that's obviously been in conversation lately appropriation of oh my goodness (laughs) yeah it's just a lot of a lot of people wearing headdresses i love the write-ups about them the write-ups the write-ups are very provocative yeah uh, but also very honest and and sandra's got it going on do you want to read one of them Dude, I feel like I can't read Cassandra's because we won't be able to publish this if I oh, do. Okay, 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 I'll read Marie. <laughs> Marie is age 42, yoga instructor, has eight kids, youngest never wear shoes, vegan as fuck, speaks French, hippie, mom, boys, organic, never stop, oh, never stepped foot on reserve, says she's goddess of... Femininity. Femininity. And has tapestries <laughs> over her house and statues of Buddha. <laughs> so, I there's feel, a lot to pull out I of feel there. like I know this person. <laughs> I feel like I've been to a potluck. I think potluck we've always... Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. And they probably gave you a lecture about how veganism is like the way to go and how indigenous people create genocide against animals. And a hummus recipe. Yeah, Yeah. okay. (laughs) And, And a hummus recipe? What? Okay. And then this... They share their hummus recipe. Oh, oh, they share it. So this yeah. is also this <laughs> is another <laughs> this is another collaboration. This is like images used from my friend Maria Zine, and then also another crossover with another amazing indigenous Esquiwak. This piece actually, all the people who contributed to this piece are all from Muscatese. It's like the the indigenous. Oh. It's like the. I don't know. It just—it's just really cool. Can't even describe it. Yeah. It, it looks like a, a, to me, it looks like a badass, a badass indigenous woman holding like what is that? A gun? Yeah. Oh, and then there's another image of another woman, and a white, a large white dog, maybe a husky, or a wolf, or a wolf. I'm yeah. It's a wolf. It's a wolf dog. <laughs> wow. What does the what does the symbol say? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't ask. Fair enough. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I gotta. I gotta so, look at my syllabic chart. Since we're looking at these pages, a lot of them obviously are very pr- provocative. Mm-hmm. Oh, this. Does that, does that make you worried, Ambrose? Like, oh my god. <laughs> is that that from the Gopher Museum? Yeah, this is from the Gopher Museum, the Torrington Gopher Museum. Mm. There's this. There's this uh, gopher, and it says Indian Village, and then it's a gopher in a headdress kind of doing like the the typical stoic kind of pose or whatever right and then a teepee in the background yeah and the label <laughs> indian village at the top and then I, like... the only the only edit i did was just a speech bubble that says why <laughs> uh, yeah. you should add another gopher in there why not <laughs> that'll be the colonial line or something yeah <laughs> And then have like a black dot beside us. Yeah, Galen or a black dot. If you, if you're more interested about the story of the black dot, email us and we can talk more about that. Yeah, actually, like we are gonna have this on on a website. It would be cool to connect. Oh yeah. Your stuff, obviously, because people should see what we're looking at. So what was your question? Am I worried? Uh, yeah. Well, where do you or are you worried or have you thought about like okay, well what? what will white people think of this or is that like whatever who cares well like part of the reason why part of this project is not to the reason why this project exists is to reclaim parts of ourselves and our indigeneity and to reclaim you know our health customs and and how we think about ourselves again and part of that is not being apologetic you know part of that is loving yourself Part of that is loving our gritty ass humor. You know, part of that is appreciating and expressing ourselves in different ways and connecting with each other. And like, like a lot of the zine is actually, is these, these conversations that we have on white people running around. You know, it's part of, a lot of the zine is these conversations that we kind of keep to ourselves and we giggle and we laugh in like the back of a classroom or something like that. So like, it's a, it's a place where we could explore that you know, and celebrate that. And that's part of healing. And a lot of these images that show like the provocativeness exist within the emotional. Part of the zine that I'm also working on is, is the exploration of decolonial love and as sex as medicine and kind of how you were talking about like sex magic or whatever, or right? maybe that can go in the zine, you know, but like, um, I'll make sex magic and I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. No. <laughs> like this is, this is sex magic. That also sounds like a communicable disease. <laughs> I'll it just could give be you my sex magic. Sex like. magic could be anything. 
It's uh-huh. a character. It's a character. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sex magic is a character that I've uh, decided needs to exist in the, <laughs> in the material world. The reality is, like, the people who struggle and the people that I want this zine to reach and I want them to feel, you know, supported by are people that societally aren't really, aren't acknowledged or recognized within as being even human. There's certain things that we we have to start doing for each other. There's certain ways that we have to connect with each other and, and not be so apologetic or not really look for, you know, appraisal or recognition from our own oppressors, right? So I'm not really worried about this at all. I really think that there's a lot to come out of it needs to exist, you know, and this kind of talks and the stuff that I'm working on in terms of research base is completely going along this continuum of this, of Nanatuihu in itself. I'm doing research, this is kind of academic, but I'm doing research based around the politics of recognition, you know, expressed through Glenn Coulthard's book, Redskin White Masks. I'm using the politics of recognition to kind of frame and to kind of uh, explore Indigenous health research and why certain Indigenous health researches and methodologies or whatever exist and like where the differences are between the Western health discourse and then our own community health discourses. And essentially the question I'm asking is why can't Indigenous knowledge stand on their own? You know, why do they have to be recognized in the first place? You know, and... Uh, and we exist within that too, you know, and why do we have to be recognized or made, you know, why do we have to apologize for being ourselves, right? Yeah. We always have to have like this barometer, you know, and gauge. So then if you were to, because you you started this out, this is pretty grassroots, like this is yeah. you, what would you say to other young Indigenous people that are thinking about doing projects, whether it be like writing or graphic novels or anything creative that could lead to publishing, what would you say to them? Well, the one thing that we have to acknowledge is that, like kind of what we were talking about before, when a group of Indigenous people come into a room and they express themselves and they share our truth and we come together, there's an infinite amount of possibilities that can happen. Part of the thing that we have to acknowledge within ourselves is our power to do something and to create. A lot of times as Indigenous people, we limit what we do and what we say and how we express ourselves because we're worried about what others are going to think or how we're going to be judged. And part of that creation process is to bring about something within yourself that will be shown to the world. You know, and it doesn't have to be something, you don't have to be, you know, freaking Picasso or whatever to, to make art. You know, you don't have to be a gifted writer or whatever, right? Because the the thing that you bring to the table is something completely unique and, and beautiful to this world. And to really exist within this world, to really be proud of yourself is getting comfortable with that. Getting comfortable to be able to express yourself. The reason why Nantuihuin has been such a healing experience for me is because I've had to learn that too. You know, I've had to learn how to take risks. I've had to learn how to open myself up and communicate and I've had to learn how to let go of a lot of stuff you know part of part of creating is is letting go you know letting go of all, all these different things and insecurities that we have about ourselves and this guilt and shame and whatever it is you know so creating in itself is is healing right because if you really think about it creating is is just an extension of what creator does you know, creator created us, creator created all this, these things that we're expressing and we're connected to them, you know. 
So the one thing I would say is, is create relationships and, and find people, find people who you don't have to find people who you can be yourself around first and then just see what happens, you know, bring out a recorder, you know, start drawing, you know, start making a video, you know, because these projects that we think about, these, these dreams that we have when we we're kids, these visions that we have carry on into our adulthood, carry on before, beyond that. There's so much that can come out of that. We, we inspire each other so much just by being in the same room, just by, you know, saying like, oh, it's okay to be ourselves and just allowing for that process to happen, you know, coming together and creating a ceremony. It's, it's all a continuum. That's one thing that we have to recognize is that we're all part of this continuum, you know, and when we use our voice and we learn how to love each other and we learn how to, you know, acknowledge who we are and where we come from and, and be proud of it, despite all this other bullshit that's put onto it and you know, all these stigmas, all these, these really racist things and, you know, our own internal, internalized shame. Once we get past that or start even thinking beyond that, holy, the world is, you know, the world is ours. You know, and, and I really believe that. Do you have any other questions? No, I think, yeah, unless you have a question, Sheila. I think that's like... I think that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, thank you so much for sharing this project with us and the world. I'm not as articulate as this <laughs> hour. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can be, but I, what you were saying about, like, so many things resonated with me, especially, like, collaborations. Mm as we're all in this room, hopefully a space, safe space yeah. <laughs> together. No, it, it's got a code block, so oh. no one can get in here except for us. Phew. I got the magic like key today, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. Yeah. Well, and I think like collaboration, coming together, like this podcast would not happen without yeah. collaborating or coming together. Yeah. Like we would not have met each other if it wasn't for like, well, having jobs in the same institution and all being indigenous women or the fact that Tanya was like, Hey, do you want to do this thing? And then like, I knew Ambrose before I knew Tanya, but not like how I do now because Mm -hmm. Tanya kind of opened up that gate of friendship and collaboration with each other. And it's good. Oh yeah. I don't like to work alone. (laughs) (laughs) This is like tired. <laughs> and the one, that, I guess, the one thing that I want to like to end on and to share also, you know, on that note, is that you know we need indigenous-based projects mm-hmm. to really change the dynamic and change, really change the power imbalances that are exper- experienced by you know Turtle Islanders across you know all of this this land, and you know that starts with creative projects. And the other thing I want to say is that it'll, it'll probably be done. January 2019, <laughs> hopefully. And then when that when that happens, you know, there'll be further collaboration because I want to have a launch event where it's very people who've collaborated with me just sharing their experience collaborating, you know, and expressing it in different ways. And, you know, I hope to have music and hope you guys can come too. <laughs> of course. I'll be there. We'll yeah. stop in like, hey. Yeah. yeah, we'll be there. We'll, we'll be, be the there. loudest ones in the room, probably. <laughs> just like feeding off of each other. Just like always. Anyway, yeah. so I mean, that's the perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Shambos, for giving us your time and for sitting down with us and sharing with our listeners like all the cool, amazing stuff that you're doing. And hopefully we'll be able to share some of that stuff on our website once it is built. <laughs> but it will be happening. Yeah. yeah. So I guess until next time.